What is going on, everybody? I am Greg Hellback, and my co-host, Michael Pinter, and I are bringing you another episode of the New York Real Estate Investing Show. This show is all about how to be successful in New York State, one of the best places and one of the most difficult places to do business in. And each and every week, Michael and I are going to bring awesome content to everybody who wants to learn how to do this business successfully in New York. Between the both of us, we have done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of deals. We've made millions of dollars and we've also made a ton of mistakes. So if you want to try your best to avoid those mistakes, definitely take a listen to this podcast. Every single week, we are going to provide actionable tactical steps on how you can be successful investing in the Empire State of New York. Stay tuned and welcome to the show. All right. So on the show today, we're going to talk about how do you deal with problems, uh, mostly as a real estate investor, because that's the, the whole point of the show. And we're also going to talk about how do you deal with problems in New York. So we're going to do our best to, to start high level and then focus down into the granulars of dealing with New York real estate specific problems. So Michael, the reason we're on this show today was because we're number one, rolling low, running low on content. But number two, you made a couple of videos that I'm surprised they haven't gotten tens of millions of views because there's tens of millions of people that need to hear that kind of stuff. So I want you to just elaborate on the videos that you made, and then we'll have the comments that you make kind of take this podcast uh, to the races. I think I, I get ready for me to elaborate uh, at length. Uh, um, That's why I came back early from my vacation. I'm just kidding. I was coming back anyway. So I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what happened and I'll tell you what I thought about. So um, this week uh, I had a very, very difficult seller who um, I think it took like four or five months to get an appointment. She kept canceling every day before we went. She was yelling at my lead uh, managers that they called her too early because they called her at 10 o'clock and she was angry that they called before noon. Bizarre situation. She said she wants the house in good shape. She wants to sell for full price, but something didn't sound right. So I get there, did the appointment like, let's say two weeks ago. One of the worst smelling houses I've ever been in. A lot of cats, a lot of carpet. She living there? Uh, She's living there with her mother. Um, oh, God. Hoarder, semi-hoarder situation, pretty hoarded with tons of cats. It smells like honey. Um, and really smelled bad. And then um, <laughs> put her under an option contract and I need to show it. So I'm ready Where to show it. Where did you learn that strategy from? From the great Greg Helbeck. <laughs> and, um, you signed it up on the spot? DocuSign. There was a realtor involved who's whatever guy who helped me. And then I get I get um get to the house and I got about a dozen people coming, okay. and she 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 flips it and she does what she's done before. She goes, oh, I have to go to the doctor's office. Can't go to can't go to the appointment. I said, well, listen, I'm coming anyway. I'm gonna wait in front of the house, um, because there are people that show up, and I'll just tell them we have to reschedule. And then I said, can I can I can you commit to the next day? She goes, okay. And I had people coming and yelling at me. I'm, I'm an hour. I'm 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 on my way already. So I'm like, <laughs> been there, dude. That's the worst. Right. You know how it is. You know, it happens. It's, and so at first I'm like upset, like this is terrible. Like people are gonna think I'm full of crap, whatever. But um, but then I started framing it better, right? So so I looked at this whole situation. Now, I even if she spoke to a dozen investors, most of them would never have put up with all the stuff that that I put up with. She canceling and lying and all kinds of weird things going on, and then showing she did the same thing. And then I said, you know what, this is like a problem, but we get paid to solve people's problems, right? This woman has some problems that I don't even want to identify. I, I, you need a trained professional to do that. But um, 
the reason why we get paid is because this is not simple. Right? Well, it's not easy, right? It's, it is, it's simple, but it's not easy. In other words, there are a lot of people out there and a good portion of the people we buy houses from are people who have some kind of issues, right? Maybe, right. Maybe they, they're not paying their mortgage, their, their mortgage and they really don't want to deal with it. Maybe they can't afford their house anymore and they don't want to deal with it. Hoarders is usually, usually an indication of some kind of insecurity, some kind of problem. And they don't want, they don't want people coming into their house, right? They don't want, they, they just don't want people coming in saying something along the lines of, how does anybody live like this, right? They don't want, they just don't want to see that. And that's why we buy a lot of houses, right? A lot, right? We don't even, we don't take it all into account, right? But a lot of houses we buy from people that have some kind of issue, which is a bad term, but a general problem. And we solve that problem because it's a better solution for the seller than the traditional solution, which is just listing with a realtor and people come in and do that. Um, it can, and it could be something simple, like they just had a really bad experience and they don't want to deal with it again, whatever it is. But the point is, when a problem comes up like that, when somebody cancels on you and you have to cancel on a dozen people are coming, right? You can view it as, oh, it's terrible. Uh, you know, this business sucks, all these problems. And then it, it brought me back to when I was in the mortgage business. So I was in the mortgage business at the same company for 17 years. And a lot of that time I was spending, not all of it, but a good chunk of it, dealing with 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 people, with borrowers who used to come and we used to get them loans. And problems would come up, right? The borrower would say he makes X and then you'd get his, his pay stubs and W2s and he'd make a third of X and he wouldn't qualify for the loan. Borrower would say, would say, you know, I'm buying the house for, for X dollars and the appraisal would come in for $200,000 less. And you're like, and and you and you, your heart would sink, right? Well, well, what the hell is going on here? But what would I would say to my buddies that were there, we worked together a long time, is like, this is why we get paid, right? If, if every single mortgage loan was just, hey, go to Chase, sign an application, close in two weeks, then there would be no reason for mortgage bankers or mortgage brokers, right? So we get paid. And that's what, what brought me back to this situation in that, if every single house sale was simple, was just a straight up, hey, how much do you want? I want this, I want to pay it, great, let's go close it. Then there would be no room for real estate investors, right? We, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't exist, right? We get paid to solve problems and very often deal with people who have deeper problems than you even maybe want to admit. So when, when you get into this business, you know, when you start getting this business, the people you watch, you go on the internet, you watch these gurus and you think, you think, right? That's what you, what you think is you're going to be dealing with some extremely normal, well-adjusted person who um, is just in a rush or is just, uh, you know, maybe maybe they're in a rush. Maybe there's some kind of situation where closing fast will solve their problem and it'll be simple and easy and you're going to lock this thing up under contract in three seconds. You're going to find a buyer in 12 seconds and you're just going to sit back on a beach and, and watch your bank account grow. But that's not that's not the reality, right? The reality is a lot of deals are messy. A lot of deals. They're all and, messy. I've never and, seen a deal that wasn't messy. And when they happen, instead of saying, oh, crap, I was counting on this check, but it's not going to happen. Instead, of, what we really should be thinking is, thank God that there are messy deals. Because if there are no messy deals, then you or I aren't going to be sitting here doing this podcast. And you or I are going to be flipping burgers at McDonald's because the messiness, the problems are where we earn our money and where we establish the need for our existence. Man, that that's is my, so freaking mic drop. No, it's true, man. And I feel like this is one of those messages where we need to be reminded more than we need to be instructed, right? Like we know this intuitively, maybe some of us do, 
But when until you get a problem served to you on a silver platter and you have to actually solve it, you, you know, you're, you're just kind of like, oh, well, why is this happening to me? I, and that's another thing I want to this is another point that you said you, everything you said, I 100 percent agree with. The second thing that usually happens to the real estate investor, and you and I have definitely felt guilty of this, and this still happens to this day. Oh, why is this happening to me? This definitely doesn't happen for anybody else. You know, all our friends who are in our market, this doesn't happen to them. It Everything goes smooth. Everything goes smooth for them. They have a huge team. Yeah. And whenever a problem comes up, some team member makes it go away. But guess what? <laughs> My CEO will take care of that. Yeah, sure. Right. Yep. It, it's, yeah, so. it's toxic, man. That mindset, if you... Oh, it's it's like if you have to almost condition your brain to to be like a moth going towards a flame. You want to go towards the problem and not away from the problem. And the more you go towards the problem, especially in bite-sized chunks, not all at once, you're able to get your emotional monkey brain kind of overrided with your normal rational human brain. There's that book, Thinking Fast and Slow, which is a really- That's awesome. That's, a, that's a long book to read. That's some deep shit. I that's love that. It's great. But he talks about how your brain works basically. But I'll give you an example. <laughs> this is a house that's out of state, but it was a townhouse. But uh, it was a PPC seller reached out and he wanted to sell a property that he thought he inherited from his life partner. I'll leave it there. And, you know, it was an interesting scenario. I'd never seen this before. And I've seen a lot of crazy deals and we lock it up and it was not easy to get this deal. The guy was being a peckerhead, as Frank Kern would say, and he wouldn't sign. And I, I had to give him, I actually had to step in on this one. I had to give him the, Hey, you're either selling this thing to me now, or I'm going away. And there was another guy that I was competing with and he ended up selling to me. Long story short, we go under contract. We put a buyer in that we get a buyer pretty easily, not too difficult to find a buyer. And, and you run title. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Then we go to the title because it was out of state. And we find out that this guy has no legal interest in this property as of today. Now, there's two options here. He could technically go in front of a judge because the dead guy who owns a property doesn't have any heirs or anything like that. So in theory, and, and I hope he's not listening to this, the seller, which I doubt he is, but could go in front of a court and most likely in the state of Texas, he could be granted this property given the evidence that he has. However, that's kind of the way I don't want to go. The way that I'm going now is I hired a genealogist, which was expensive. And I had to, I just did this this week. And this is, I have a text message that I didn't respond to yet from one of the heirs. I hired a genealogist, which is basically someone who researches family trees and they pulled a report and they found the second cousins of the dead guy. And there was like 10 second cousins. And I was like, oh my God, I got to call these people. So I just started smiling and dialing. This was three days ago. Got in touch with somebody in, he was in Texas, but apparently I thought he was in Oregon, but he was in Texas. And he's, I called him and I said, hi, um, this is a random call. I'm not a spammer from Nigeria. This is exactly what's going on. You're inheriting this property and blah, 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 blah. And he was like, what the hell? Like, I didn't know this, what's going on? And he has all these questions. And, and long story short, right now, what we're trying to do is getting all of the heirs on board to get a note contract signed, to then get all the paperwork done, to then hopefully close this in like a month or two, if that works out. But here's the point of that story. I don't know if that deal will work out. It might work out. It might not work out. I really don't know. And it's out of my control for the most part. However, this is a normal, well, I wouldn't say this scenario, but Problems like this that are similar or comparable to this, if we're using real estate terms, this is this is like every freaking house. I, I don't I haven't done a deal recently 
where it was a smooth, as you would say, easy peasy Japanese house. Every freaking house, whether it's a rental or a flip or an assignment or a novation, there's always bullshit on every deal, whether it's the seller dragging their feet, they don't want to get documents into the lawyer, the lawyer doesn't answer the phone, haha, uh, or it's there's some sort of problem that needs to be overcome. And what I have found, at least my system that I use, is I just have a reoccurring, like I have my daily calls that I need to get made for the day that are critical, that move the needle, that move revenue. And if there's a call that needs to get made to move a deal forward, if my assistant can't do it, they stay on my call sheet every single day until the problem gets solved. And usually it's, hey, we got to get access. <gasps> hey, you didn't answer. We got to get access. Hey, by the way, I called you three times. We got to get access. And when you do that, it's almost like hitting a pinata. If you hit that pinata enough, and I learned this from Ed Milet, it will eventually burst open, in, burst open into candy. But you got to hit that thing for a long ass time. Right. And it, it's like when the deal ends up closing, it's kind of counterintuitive, but you feel a lot better about yourself. You're like, man, that was a fucking pain in the ass. And I earned <laughs> my money on that one, you know? It's so let me let me say three things. First of all, once in a while you do get a deal that's smooth. I've had them that once in a while. I closed the deal. I can uh, name them on my hand, bro. I closed the deal last week. I, I don't even know what's closing. I'm just close. That was great. Um, now, so you said something great this week that I really like, which is that your level of compensation is commensurate with the size of the problem you can solve. Is that and what you your said? ability to solve the problem. Right. Right. So if you were, if you could like if I could split the atom. I'd be a billionaire, right? Or if I could create cold fusion, if I could cure cancer, it's a big problem. I'd be a billionaire. Yep. And I think you're 100% right, right? If you can solve big problems. So, and, and you, you know, really when you started doing this business, you were into problem deals, right? Hairy, messy yeah, deals. Yeah, that was my niche. Yeah. But one, one thing I thought about today, I was hiking up and I had a deeper thought on this whole problem solving thing. And I think, so, so I, because I was looking, so it was weird today in LA. It was it was cold uh, in the morning. I went up at seven o'clock. Reason this morning, dude. It was cold, right? When I went to, when I went to synagogue at six, it was like thirty nine degrees. But at seven, it was already like you know uh, forty eight degrees. And then I got in my car. It wasn't so wasn't so cold. And then I started hiking up. And in the shade in Runyon, it was cold, right, cold. for about twenty minutes. But the, no less. I'm talking about like eight minutes. But then once I got to the sun, it was nice. But there were people that were there. That were wearing like down parkas, right? Because it's under 60 degrees in LA. And what I and it's funny because LA really they say we go through all the seasons in one day at this time because it's it's 39 degrees in the morning, but it's 75 degrees in the middle of the day. That's a big difference. So I, and I was thinking this, I always have issues with with my wife about this because she's always wore, taking a coat when when I'm like when I tell her, you know, we're gonna be in the car. I'm dropping you off in front of wherever we're going. You're gonna be outside for like four seconds. So maybe you shouldn't take a coat. And that was what I was thinking about. And I, what I thought is that one of, I think one of the keys to be happy in life, so I want to phrase that, is to not just tolerate, not even accept, but to embrace temporary inconvenience and temporary discomfort. So like I, I very often don't take a coat um, if it's, if it's under, if it's like uh, above 40 degrees, because I'm outside of my, outside of my vehicle for a minute each time. And I think that we all look at, like you said, we look at we look at other investors or we look at really successful people like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, and we think that they never they, they had meteoric success, straight line success, nothing, no, no, no ups and downs ever in their lives. 
And what we, and that's just not true, right? I mean, like Elon Musk has like one of his kids goes public and says he doesn't want to have anything to do with him. Like there's issues, everybody's got problems. But my point is that wherever you're headed in life, right? Wherever, however successful you're going to be or not. And I'm not saying this is the key to success, although it's helpful. If you want to be happier in life, you have to embrace temporary discomfort and temporary um, inconvenience. Now, the, obviously, the question is, how do I know it's temporary? So, you know, our example that I just gave is very easy to know because I know that my car, I'm parked of 40 feet from where I'm going. I'm not going to be outside that long. So even if it's 30, even if it's 32 degrees, which is freezing, right, I, I'm going to make it, right? I'm not going to slip, freeze to death on my way there. But I think in in our in our journey that we do uh, as real estate investors or any entre- entrepreneurial journey, like you have to not just and this is the, the theme that we're saying. It's not even just like I'll tolerate this problem. Not even that I accept it as a problem. It's almost like you you have to embrace the problem. You have to say, you know what? You got to lean into it. Exactly, lean into it and say, this is it, right? This is this is this is why I earn my money, right? If if I don't if there are no issues like this, then I don't, I don't, I don't have a reason to exist, right? Whatever job you're in, even if you're flipping burgers in in, in, in McDonald's, right? You're solving a problem, right? If the guy, if they didn't, people didn't want burgers cooked on both sides, you they would need somebody flipping burgers. So you have to almost say that's good. And even the guy flipping burgers is going to have some customer yell at him and say, "You screwed up on my burger," right? And these are the things why that's why you have a job, right? Because if it was just push a button and a bird came out of the sky that tasted good, you wouldn't need your, you wouldn't exist. So you have to sort of embrace these things in life, and I think that I think that the people that do that um, are much happier people. Wherever, wherever, however successful or, or not successful they are, they're happier people, right? And we're all we're all going to die, right? Every one of us, right? One hundred percent guaranteed. Well, guys, so between now and dead, the question is: Am I going to embrace these things that come into my life, or am I going to use them as fodder to be unhappy? That's how I that's how I look at it. That's that's how I see it. No, it's, it's so true, especially when you can condition your brain to reframe scenarios like this. And and I, this is, I say this to people and sometimes they look at me like I have three heads, like I'm some woo-woo Buddha guy and I'm not at all, but I'm just like, listen, if you're dealing with this bullshit, you have two, ch- and it's easier said than done, right? Don't no, trust me. I had a, I'll give you another scenario. Actually, this is a funny one and I'm going to, might raise my voice. So if you're listening <laughs> to me entertained, well, keep me accountable to raising my voice anyway. Um, what was I going to say? You're, if you can reframe the scenario and people, and I say this to people and they're like, Greg, but you don't understand my scenario. I'm like, no, I do understand your scenario. It fucking sucks. Don't get me wrong. You haven't done a deal in six months. You have these fucking bills. I get it. I fucking get it. And maybe I wasn't like you when I started. Maybe I, I didn't have overhead when I started. I was a fucking young kid. I had no life. But anyway, but here's the truth. If you reframe your scenario and come up with a way to solve the problem and you become solution oriented, you're going to be able to have a higher chance of solving that problem. But if you just take that and, and like, you know, like act like an ostrich and stick your head in the sand, it's not going to do you any good. You're just going to ultimately set yourself back from hitting the goal you want to hit. And it, and it, and it pushes people away from you. I just saw a Joe Rogan thing on like that. He goes like, he goes, I got no, I got no patience for a guy who says, I can't catch a break. I can't catch a break. He's Mm. like, I don't need to hear that shit. And no one else wants to hear it either. He goes, work harder. Maybe try, go in a different direction, pivot yeah. as you say, you know, but like no one cares if you Nobody can't cares. If you want it enough, you'll get through whatever the whatever the difficulty is. Exactly. And if you can reframe even little things like, oh, how do I turn this title issue into an opportunity to get better? Oh, well, when it happens again and I solve it this time, it's gonna be easier to solve it next time, right? It's like little it doesn't have to be like, oh, I'm gonna invent this title cleaning business or something. You're just it's just right. it, you, you learn, right? Up, you 
You either win or you learn. So a problem comes up. I just lost the deal. I lost a deal that I really wanted to close, but I learned what from What happened? What happened on the deal? So it was, it was a PPC deal and we negotiated a price and I had one buyer who was going to pick, it was like a $30,000 spread. And then the, then the seller was like adamant about me paying the mortgage payment this month. And I'm like, listen, directly, they wanted me to pay directly to the, to the, to the, to the, to the uh, Bank? lender. And I'm like, I'll do that, but I want to sign the contract. And she was like, I want you to pay it first. I said, well, I want you to Ooh, sign that's it. That's a red flag. Okay, I'll only sign the contract if you close by the end of the month. And then the buyer was like, I need four weeks. And I kept juggling this whole thing. I don't know if it was a salvageable deal because the buyer, the buyer, I needed the buyer to sign because what it was did my she do? Buyer. What did she end up doing? The seller. Uh, she's not selling it to me. So I'm disappointed, but it's a learning experience. Like I, I, I need to, I learned something from it. Like I, I need, I guess if I, if it happened again in the future, I would handle it a little differently. Yeah. Well, but, the, uh, well, you just reframed it, Yogi. You just reframed it on your yeah. own. Like how do you turn it into a positive? And it's like, it's, it's it's just a it's controllable right like i you got to separate things that are controllable and then uncontrollable and 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 coming up with a solution it might not be a great solution is under your control versus being like oh well actually acting like a pansy is under your control too but it's just not going to help you right so let me give you an example of me being yes. a fucking asshole this week and i'm, I'm going to defend myself in a good way or in a bad way in a in a both way and i, I actually spoke to this with a the therapist the other day because it was that bad all right so and I want you to tell me, I'm, I'm crazy. Be honest with me here. Hold me accountable. Okay. We're, we're in front of the world here. So I have a fucking tenant and I, I love to say their name, but I'm not just in case we end up going to court, which we probably will go to court. <laughs> I bought this property and I inherited these people and it was my first ever rental property I bought. And I didn't know what I was doing. I still don't know what I'm doing, but I know a lot more now than I did. And we were trying to get them out of the property they never left. So we ended up filing a holdover eviction. This was a year ago. And we took it through the court and the thing, there was all this protection going on. There was a moratorium at the time. So I didn't really have a lot of leverage. So we ended up signing a stipulation. And the stipulation said that the tenants have 90 days to vacate the property. And if they don't vacate the property, the punishment is going to be, they're going to pay $1,800 a month in rent. And by the way, market rent's probably 2,200. But when I first bought the property, they were paying 950. So basically I was doubling the rent. So I'm like, all right, if they don't leave, they're going to pay $1,800 a month and they'll be out of my hair. And you know, it is what it is. So they ended up not leaving shocker. You know, I'm so surprised. And you know, they've been paying 1,800 a month ever since for about a year now. So they, they were pretty good at first. They wouldn't really bother me and they would leave me alone, especially once you get attorneys involved, they kind of back away. But anyway, they got comfortable. They got, these people got comfortable again and they started bothering me for stupid shit. So they hit me up about two weeks ago about some door hinges that were broken. And I once sent the contractor there and confirmed that they weren't trying to bullshit me and the door hinges were broken. And I said, you know what? You haven't bothered me in a while. I'll fix the fucking hinges for 150 bucks, whatever. Take the new hinges. <laughs> take the damn hinges and take the gun, leave the cannoli, you know? And uh, so anyway, they, they, then, then, then I'm talking to my contractor after I paid him and he's like, Hey, yeah, he was telling me about the floors in the kitchen. And I'm like, Ooh, he's going to, I'm training this guy to just come to daddy every time he needs a, and I, I just referred to myself as daddy. So you can delete that um, editor, but um, to come to, to, to professor Helbeck anytime there's a minuscule problem. So I'm waiting for this guy to get in touch with me. He doesn't hit me up for like a week. I get a text from the wife 
on, I think this was Tuesday, maybe. I think it was Tuesday. I spoke to the therapist on Wednesday. Yes, it was Tuesday. And uh, because I'm just remembering because I was like venting to her. I'm like, what the fuck's wrong with me? Anyway, so she sends me a text and it's a very entitled text message. It was like, she sends me a picture of all the floors. By the way, they were not that fucking bad. And then she took a picture of the little stupid dog living in the house next to the floor with like a sad face. And I'm like, and the text was very, very, very entitled, like very entitled text, like fix my floors, motherfucker. Basically, that's what it said. Didn't say that, but, and I was furious, furious. And I was like, I was like biting my tongue. And I'm like, I could respond to them like a complete Neanderthal now, but I'm going to save that. And I'm going to say, okay, I'll have the contractor look at it. So I text the contractor again. Okay. Can you go back? Can you look at the floors? Can you give me an estimate on redoing everything? So we don't have to do this again goes there the next day and I'm pretty quick with my stuff. Like, you know, and I, he goes over there, takes measurements, tells me what we got to do. And I'm like, okay. I said, what is the price? And he's like, to do all the floors, we're going to be looking at $2,900. And I said, is that the best you can do? And he's like, yeah. And, he, and I said, well, why don't we do the cheaper floors? And he's like, well, cause you're going to have to replace them. And I'm like, you got a good point. So then I'm thinking in my head, I go, okay, if I'm going to spend about $3,000 now, that's money. I'm not going to get back with these fucking people. So I'm going to have to give them an, a choice. I fix the floors for more rent or I don't fix the floors and you stay, right? I run this by an attorney, actually two attorneys. And they said, that's a very smart thing to do. You give them a choice, you know? And then if they don't want to, you know, pay more money in rent, then they keep the floors. So I end up making it for that. I should not, this is what I, this is where I fucked up. I should not have called them. I called them and I was in a decent mood, but the, um, the one guy doesn't answer. What? Dude, I'm in a decent mood for a little while. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. So, so I call them up. And the one guy doesn't answer. And it's these people, these kind of people that like, if I'll answer pretty quickly, like within reason. And then like, if I, if they need something from me, but then if I need something from them, it's like, they just, you know, they, they go to fucking soccer practice. So, so these people, he doesn't answer. So then I call the landline and these people never leave their house because they're, they're fucking asshole tenants. And uh, I'm just trashing these people now. And <laughs> they answer the landline at like, it was 630 Eastern. And I'm like, hi, uh, this is Greg. How was Leo yesterday? Was he in that? Did everything go well? Did he, you know, and I'm just kind of small talking them. And I said, okay, well, thank you for letting him in. I got some updates on the floors. This is what, you know, we can do for you. And if you want me to put these floors in, you know, the rent is going to then have to go up to 2000, unfortunately. And the lady went bananas and she starts yelling at me. She's talking to me like I'm her dog when the dog poops in the house and I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm biting my tongue. And now my monkey brain is just getting turned on. And what she like, say? what she say? She's like, Oh no, 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 no. Like, like, like literally like that. And I'm like, and I'm, I'm a nice guy until I'm not a nice guy. <laughs> so then I'm like, I'm saying her name. I'm not going to say her name on the show. I'm like, name, 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 name. Let me, let me talk. Let me talk. Let me talk. Let me talk. And I, this is exactly how they, I'm like, let me talk. Don't cut me off. Don't, don't cut me off. I said, don't cut me off. I said, listen to me. And now I'm fucking pissed. I go, how dare you talk to me like this? How dare you talk to me like this? You know, you should have been out of that property a year ago. And I've let you stay. I have let you stay in this property and you're busting my chops over floors. I said, I'll tell you what, I won't fix the dang floors. If you want to stay, I won't fix them. You can have them like that. I said, I cannot believe the way you're talking to me like this. Unbelievable. And she goes, this is a recorded line. I said, you can record it all you want. I don't care. And I said, I don't care. What do you do? You're going to record the line? I'm like, sure, put it. Anyway, so then I'm like, I'm freaking out. And I'm like, I can't believe this. Unbelievable. 
I cannot believe you even have the audacity to speak to me like this. And I said, you know what I'm doing? I'm hanging the phone up. I'm hanging the phone up and hung the phone up and the fucking thing. So then, so get this. So get this. So then two days ago. Yeah. No, yesterday I get a text. This is, I almost fucking, I, I was laughing. It was just so funny. I get another text from this, the same tenant. Right, the, gutters, the gutters got to get cleaned. <laughs> you know, my response was for now on, all communication must go through my attorney. Here's the phone number. And that's where we're at now. So I lost my shit. I lost my absolute, I went fucking psycho. I shouldn't have done that, but you're you know right. What? I've done it. I've done it too. You I lose. went psycho, man. Psycho, psycho, Michael, bro. We discussed this and I told you that only way that that, that situation ends is with the sheriff taking them out. So, <laughs> I'll be uh, standing there watching. I, I, I stand behind that statement, but, um, <laughs> But I'm telling you that she's going to keep in this situation. She's going to keep giving you stuff to do, and then she, when you don't do it, she's going to use it as fodder to fight you in court. So, I'll tell you what we're going to do now. I spoke to the attorney yesterday morning about this. This is exactly right. how we're handling it now that I'm calm again after that episode. We're sending them a simple letter, very simple letter that says, "We understand you have some cosmetic concerns." And I'm very clear with the cosmetic because listen. If she calls me and the furnace is broken, of course I'm going to fucking fix it. Like, no, duh. I'm not going to have them freeze, even though I really wouldn't give a shit. Anyway, I hope no one heard that. <laughs> I really don't care, dude. Edit, edit that. <laughs> I honestly, you know what? People know that I'm, I'm a straight shooter. Um, I hope they don't. Yeah, freeze. So, I know you have some cosmetic concerns. Cosmetic concerns. If the concerns are, you know, enough to really make you unsatisfied with the property, we have no problem issuing a, a holdover. And we'll give you 90 days to move out. And that's that. Or if you want to stay, this is going to be the new rent. And it's going to be, you know, whatever we decide is reasonable. And you're going to have to sign a very strong lease that is going to be an as is, where is lease. And in that lease, there's going to be addendums that basically say if X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z are not in satisfactory order, assuming they're not a health concern or a safety concern, you are, you are, open and willing to take the property like that. Therefore, no communication to the, you know, XYZ company will be prohibited. And like, basically right, it, that's how we're doing it. But I'll tell you what, man, that's it's not the same letter. It's not the same letter I would send. I would give them 90 days notice and just say hit the road. So that's, that's what I'm thinking of. But you know what? I'm like, you know, if, if we can get them at X and they shut the F up, they shut the front door. I might just okay. let it ride. Cause I'm like, let me, let me, yeah. A little lesson I've learned in my almost 52 years of life. Sure. People don't change. That is they so are net. If, if they pay you $2,000, they're going to call you for more things. They're going to call you and tell you my light bulb's flickering. They're going to call you and tell you that my, my, I, I think the, the faucet dripped two days ago, but I, I'm not sure which faucet. That's the kind of thing. By paying you more, they're going to be entitled to more. They're not going to be entitled to less. You want them to agree to pay more and not and bother you less, but they look at every time they pay you, including the, the doubling of the rent. They look at that as a, as an opportunity as being more entitled to twice as much service from you. It's the yeah. way it is. You want to know how this ties back to the topic we're making today? Yes. If this tenant and this building didn't exist as a problem. I wouldn't be a real estate entrepreneur because the seller who originally sold me the property, I'll tell you how I solved their problem because that's the whole theme of the show today. She said, I, and this was all through email too. This lady was an email. Lady. She didn't want to get on the phone with me. I don't want to tell them I'm selling. I don't want to think about this. 
if you buy it with them inside without ever stepping foot, I'll give you this home run price. And I said, okay. And we closed and I never met them. Basically, she didn't want she didn't want to deal with them at all. You bought a problem. You bought, you bought her her problem, right? You bought. I, that. I got hundred and thirty five thousand dollars of equity to solve a problem, basically. right? And that's how that's how it works. So, and and in general, landlording is about dealing with problems. Um, I'm reading a book right now called Landlording on Autopilot. It's actually pretty good on how to like have systems set up. It, it there, dude. There's some things in here that I never even would have thought of. Like it's like it's really good. <laughs> All right, I gotta check it out. Um, that's the way it is. Again, so again, so you can, you can, so the way you look at your situation is you can look at it as, oh crap, I can't believe that I have to deal with these morons, or you can look at it as, thank God, I have there are morons to deal with. They pay me every month. That's how you look. That's the difference, right? And here's a way to reframe it. At least they're paying some rent, and I'm making some money. You know, they could be a non-payment tenant fund for ERAP, and I could be up the creek. You know, that's what I got going on now. So uh, yeah, all right. It, it, yeah. So anyway, so back to, as we start to wrap the show up here, one more thing I want to mention is this is the New York real estate show. I might air this one on two podcasts because it's that good of content, but if, and if you're listening to the other podcasts, you're still probably, you know, in the Northeast, uh, at least some of you are in New York state. Here are some problems that uh, Michael and I have gone through that we have gotten pretty good at overcoming, but this whole saga of oh my gosh, it takes two weeks to get a contract from an attorney. I have an offer accepted, but I don't know if I'm buying this and I'm on, I'm in purgatory. That's a problem that you're going to have to just understand the, 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 I want actually, Michael, talk about the benefits to that because you're, this is your wheelhouse, so, man. So, I'm so, roll so, for you. I never real, right. And until I did deals in other states, I never realized it. Right. But it, it, when I spoke, when I first got to investor field, I started explaining to people how things work. They were like, why the hell would anybody do business in New York? And then I didn't, and I, and I thought about it. I'm like, yeah, why am I doing business in New York? But then the basic gist of it is it's very hard, complicated, and, and at the closing costly to get into contract in New York. Uh, the way, and just to reiterate for people who don't know, contracts in 49 states happen between a buyer and a seller. Buyer wants to buy, seller wants to sell. You can whip out a piece of toilet paper if you want to write down a simple contract on it, you're in contract. In New York, the transaction takes place between the seller's attorney and the buyer's attorney. So, takes time. It's a pain. Deals once in a while fall, fall out of that stage, uh, like the one I just mentioned. And um, But the converse of it, the, uh, the, the good side about it is that sellers are never getting out of contract. The language in the contract is so ironclad that if they get out, if they try to get out, um, not only not only can you put a file of list pendants on the property, which means just like they have mortgage foreclosure, they'll never ever be able to sell it to anybody else. But also, you can sue them for specific performance for the entire purchase price, and people and, and their attorney is going to tell them that. So, the the flip side of it is we don't have to go file in the county a memorandum of contract, an affidavit of contract, to record the contract Notarized. because it's never an issue. And the truth is, those are really band aid kinds of solutions because they don't really guarantee <laughs> the guy's not going to sell it to somebody else because there are crappy title companies that don't care, and then there's ways around it, or the guy will call you and go, "Got to send you a thousand dollars." That's not really the same thing. For us, it's ironclad. You want the contract, they're not selling to anybody else. So it's important to understand that the problem, the, the the challenges that New York brings are also incredible benefits to New York. And the main the main thing in New York that people don't realize is that because it's so different, most of the people that go on the internet and trying to figure out how to do this try in New York and it doesn't work, which is why there's limited competition in most of the state. 
Much less yeah, than other. Less than most, but there's still competition. Less. There is competition, but a lot less than yes, others. Certainly in my area, in your area, there's a lot. Seems to be increasing. A lot of people. It, I, I was going to say, man, there's like a new wholesaler every two hours coming up in my area. I'm like, right, hey, but, guess, but, but guess what? In 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 six months, there'll be there'll be two less wholesalers for each one. For each one. <laughs> so, because uh, a lot of them can't figure it out or make it work. So there's a lot. They work with me. Shameless. Right. But because of there's a lot of challenges, it, it there are advantages to it. So you got to, as we said before, embrace these problems, embrace these challenges, understand that's why we exist. That's why we have a, a business or we have, or why you have a job, whatever it is you're doing, you can look at problems as, as, as um, you know, these mountains that you can't overcome, or you can look at them as simple obstacles that make, that make your me, your, that provide the reason why you are getting paid for whatever you're doing. 100%. Here's a shameless plug example. Let's say you're watching this and you're in New York and you're like, I do not have money for an earnest money deposit. And I live in Westchester County or I live in Suffolk County or whatever. You can go to Michael or I, whoever you choose, whoever, you know, you like better. And after that tenant story, you might go to Michael, but uh, this guy, Greg, is just a psycho. And you know what you can do? You can take the problem of I don't have money and you can look at it as the opportunity to work with someone who might not interact with you. Otherwise, probably will because we're nice guys. And you can JV and bring value to somebody else by basically giving them a deal or a lead, splitting it and learning the ropes. So like you take that problem, oh my God, I don't have money to a solution. Oh, I can now get access to an investor I might not otherwise have gotten access to because they know how to do it and they're always looking for more deals. So that's another way of reframing all of these problems, right? And um, man, I, I just, I'm so big on that. Your income is in direct proportion to your ability to solve problems. And I'll tell you the truth thinking about this as I like kind of deep, deep think about this now on the spot. It's like when new investors start out, the reason they don't make money is just because they, they don't have the experience or the knowledge on how to solve the problem. That's the only difference between someone who's brand new and guys who have made millions of bucks is, and number one, they haven't failed enough. You made another good video on it. Your ability to experience failure is in direct proportion to the success you're going to have. The people who you look up to Jeff, Elon, you know, Barry Bonds, whoever, like these guys have just failed more and they've struck out more than you have. And that's the only reason they're most likely where they are. I mean, obviously there's other things, but you know, you know, I can't play baseball for the life of me, but I still am a Mets fan. But anyway. <laughs> no, but you're right. You're right. The, the, that's that. And it's, a, I guess it's a similar kind of thing. It's the people who fail mo the most are the ones that are the most successful. We, 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 we don't think that, right. We think that the guys that are the most successful are the guys who never failed. Yeah. They, right. But the truth is, that's not true. The 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 uh, accepting that I'm going to have to fail a lot before I'm successful is probably your best path to success. Right? That's you know, the, it's funny because that's not how that's not how Americans are raised in school, and that's what throws people for a loop. I remember when I first got started, I would listen to these podcasts, and they would talk about failing fast and failing forward, and it was like I didn't know what they were talking about because hmm. in school, you're conditioned: oh, if you fail the test you're going to not pass and you're going to have to, you know, take the class over again or take the test over again. I remember in New York, there's a regents exams that are like, Ooh. and like, if you didn't pass that, you were not going to go to the next grade. Right. So we're conditioned as a society to always succeed. And nobody really talks about, well, if you really want to make it in the real world, you have to learn how to embrace failure. And, and, but you got to learn from, you can't, there's a caveat. You can't just do the same stupid thing over and over again like Bob Proctor has this great quote, like if you've made the same mistake twice, the second time it was a choice. <laughs> <laughs> Assuming like, you know, it wasn't something crazy, but like, it's true. Like if you know, like, 
oh, I can't lock a contract up with a seller in New York because they're going to get pissed at me. And you do it twice. Well, shame on you. First time, maybe you didn't know unless you listen to this podcast. So it's like, you got to obviously take that with a grain of salt and don't go out and buy a house for 105% of market value and fail your way to, you know, that. I don't realize <laughs> that. Yeah, you're in bankruptcy. I wouldn't write a loan on that loan either. I wouldn't. Right. Anyway, I digress. I, I think people got the point of the show with a lot of good stories weaved in here that to drive that point home. And if if people get value from this this episode, please share it with other people who need to hear this message, whether it's family, friends, colleagues, leave us a review on iTunes. And we're going to put more of these shows out, obviously. And um, yeah, if you guys want a JV and you're in the Hudson Valley, Long Island, somewhere in the New York City suburbs, Michael and I are here to do deals with you. And uh, thanks for listening. Take care, everybody.